Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Out of Curiosity, where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. And I on fire. I think with that, you are getting it down. We can officially drop this podcast sort of meme. <laughs> of me being an incompetent <laughs> podcast introducer. I think I think the quality speaks for itself, frankly, at this point. Um, so but I don't know if we'll be able to stop talking about it because it's become useful fodder. Yeah, we will eventually. <laughs> uh, the question today right. is an interesting one. I, I hope you think it's interesting. I'm assuming you think it's interesting if you bothered to click play on this episode. Is the Gospel of Thomas legit? You know, we've got four canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but there are other gospels, other gospel documents that have been written. Sometimes scholars make a big deal out of them, maybe too big of a deal. Sometimes people don't acknowledge them enough and they want to paper over them and ignore their existence. Uh, how are we to think about this document, this ancient document we know as the Gospel of Thomas? Garland, maybe we should start with, for, for probably many of us listening who are like, I have no idea what you are even talking about. What is it? What is this thing? Yeah. Maybe first question is when did you first get exposed to this 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 idea? When did you first hear about it? Was I, it a movie or was it? I in a think class? it was like a bad History Channel documentary. I remember being like a junior high student watching History Channel around Easter and stuff, and uh, you know they'll always do these documentaries that, that just sort of unabashedly always trying to uh, <laughs> discredit something from Christianity. Right. It's like, can um, I just get a fair one? I don't even need it to be pro-Jesus. Exactly, like exactly. Scholarship, like, non-biased and somewhat fair. They're like, the gospel of Thomas will upend everything you ever <laughs> knew about Jesus, the real Jesus they don't want you to know about. And, <laughs> and I then think it goes to like, commercial. <laughs> yeah. Then they sell products after yeah, saying that. Yeah, they sell like, you products hypocrisy. and then they come Knows back. No bounds, yeah. Then they come back and then they just give you the sloppiest scholarship you've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I remember being exposed to it there and, and it, it that how it was supposed to uh, to shake my faith and my trust in the, the scriptural gospels. I, I think... Probably similar for me, uh, you know, some History Channel thing. And then obviously, like uh, at state school, you know, here in the South, that was one for me where you begin to, to hear and have professors or have other people say, um, it's the kind of statement that really shakes your faith. When, if, if you're a Jesus follower and you go into college, you never heard of it, people will say things like, well, you know there's other Gospels out there. And they just picked those at some council years later because they, they wanted power mm-hmm. and uh, these affirmed their power. Uh, but there's other Gospels that are just as legitimate and they're just as important. You just don't have the guts to go read them. Yeah, um, man, so, I'm just struck by how much Jesus of the canonical Gospels never challenges institutional power, especially yeah, religious. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he had nothing to say about such things. He was only looking to to, to prop up l- later Catholic power or something. Yeah, it's just very silly, um, and it, it obviously displays its own its own bias, even in some of the way the statements are asked. But let's dive in. Like, what is it? Uh, you know, when did it come to be? Uh, what's what's in it? All that stuff. Let's just let's just dive in. Yeah. Uh, the Gospel of Thomas. So we found two copies of this document. Uh, one is a much better in much better shape. We might say it was written in uh, what's called the Coptic language, uh, and so it's a Coptic document. Um, and the document was found in uh, in what is you know now we call it Egypt in a site there. Um, and you don't have to know the name of the site. Nag Hagami is the name of the site, um, and I'm almost certain. I'm not saying that right, um, but the the gospel it begins, and I've got mine right in front of me. So my Gospel of Thomas uh, in my New Testament apocryphal books is right in front of me, and uh, here's how it begins: um, These are the secret words 
which the living Jesus spoke and Didymus, Judas, Thomas wrote down. Now, Didymus and Thomas both are, uh, those are both like, we might say titles or nicknames. They, don't, they both mean twin. So written by Judas. Uh, and that's, that's what it is. It's, um, it's an ancient document. And we found another copy of it at a different site in Egypt that's very, very corrupted. It's, we, we might call it a fragmentary hmm. uh, you know, manuscript. So we have a couple of copies of this thing called the Gospel of Thomas. It's interesting. The, the second, the, the one that's more corrupted, that text actually was found 50 years earlier, but they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what to compare it to. And then when they found the more preserved Coptic text, uh, they were able to then go, oh, that text we found 50 years ago is this. It's the same thing. This is the gospel, uh, the gospel of Thomas, as we call it now. Um, so that's what it is. Uh, you know, what's, what's it got? Like, what's, what's it like to read it? Well, um, it's actually really interesting. Um, in my book here, it only takes up, uh, let's see, it's about 15 pages. Um, it's 114 sayings. Uh, there's uh, it's a collection, just a simple collection of sayings. There's almost no commentary, almost no stories about Jesus. Narrative frame is only one story uh, that it's, that's in it. The stories are somewhat clustered, but it's hard to say why they're clustered this way. And if you read it, it just seems sort of random. So the clusters usually begin with, you know, then Jesus said, something like that. Um, what makes it interesting or what gave this a lot of, we might say, airplay is this. Half of what is in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, and I reread it before this episode, half of what's in here, you could go find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it sounds very similar. In fact, you'll, I'll, I'll read some in a minute, and you'll be like, wait a second, that, that, that sounds the same. Um, also, interestingly, a third of what's in Thomas is also in what's called oftentimes the Q source or the Q document. It's a hypothetical document. If you, if you wanted a refresher on that, we released an episode on that just a few, uh, a few weeks back. So you can go listen to that one and kind of get updated on that. So um, we've got an ancient document called the Gospel of Thomas made up of 114 sayings that share about half the material with our three Matthew, Mark, and Luke synoptic gospels and an ancient source that we suppose um, was maybe an influence on uh, Matthew and Luke called Q. There we go. That's what it is. Should we shut this episode down? Uh, sounds like we've we got uh, it. Yeah, that's all like we need to do. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it might be helpful, actually. Let me just read. I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read at random here. I'm sure I'm going to turn pages and check. Okay, here we go. Uh, Jesus said, The splinter that is in your brother's eye you see, but the plank in your own eye you do not see. When you have taken the plank out of your own eye, then you will see to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. And I think anyone that's at least familiar with reading the Gospels, be like, that sounds really familiar, but here's another one. Um, Jesus said, if a blind man leads a blind man, both of them fall into a ditch. You're like, that kind of sounds familiar. Let's keep going. Here's another one. Um, his disciples said, when will you be revealed to us, and when shall we see you? And Jesus said, when you undress without being ashamed, and you take your clothes and put them under your feet like little children do and trample on them, then you will see the son of the living one, and you will not fear. <laughs> How does that one land on you? <laughs> Interesting. Like, here's a short one. Jesus said, become passers-by. <laughs> read it again. Jesus said, become passers-by. Uh, let me give you one more. Or maybe, maybe I'll give you two more. They showed Jesus a gold coin. And said to him, Caesar's men demand taxes from us. He said to them, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God, and give to me what is mine. 
So a little diff, you know, same as what we have in the other three, but that little tagline at the end, give to me what is mine is missing. And this one's fun. Um, Jesus said, woe to them, the Pharisees, for they resemble a dog lying in the manger of oxen, for he neither eats nor lets the oxen eat. Da, da, da. Um, <laughs> and so when we, you know, when we consider these sayings, some of those sound very similar to what we have in ours. Uh, some will sound very different. In a minute, we'll talk about a few that just really jump off the page. Um, but that's what it is. So now if you've got no familiarity or if you're like, man, I've always been interested in this, you even heard a few of them. Um, so it's 114 sayings. I read, uh, I read from a few just that are just numbered. Uh, again, when we talk about, you know, we ask a question, what is this thing? So you gotta ask who, who, what, where, when, why kinds of questions. Um, most scholars, in fact, I don't know of a scholar that thinks that this document was written by uh, uh, Thomas, the disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Now, it's Thomas means twin, and Thomas is called that, and he's called Didymus. And so um, most, most are in agreement that this was written in the name of uh, Thomas, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, some would say that the date of its writing was about 100 years after the death of Jesus, mid-100s A.D. Some put it even earlier. Some make it all the way up until nearly the turn of the first century A.D. And let me just, just why that matters, okay? Most scholars that I know, and some, this is obviously debated, some, most put John, the Gospel of John, as being written somewhere around 80, 90 AD, something like that. Uh, if the Gospel of Thomas is written in 140, 150, or if it's written a little bit earlier even, uh, now we're talking about uh, a document that's being written within a matter of decades, a half of a century, or a century at maybe the, at, at longest from when our Gospels were written. And so I think that leads some people to say, wow, this is a really big deal. I need to really lean in on this, and that's why it's gotten an awful lot of attention. Um, and so, yeah, that I think orients, if you're totally unfamiliar to this, uh, that might orient you to a little bit to what it is. Let me ask you this, uh, Cameron. Have you ever read it before? I read it, I read it in seminary about in my MABTS, so it's been years. It's been probably seven, eight years since I've read it. Okay. It's... Funny how there there's some things in it that are so strange right next to things that are exa exactly as you said, like, oh, that's straight out of the Gospels. That sounds exactly like Jesus. This is something Jesus did say that we know from the other Gospels, but it's just like mm -hmm. this weird conflagration of weird the weird the weird and the normal. Yeah, I will I mean I'll admit just right out of the gate, like in reading it, I feel we it feels weird to read it. Like uh yeah. As a, as a, you know, Jesus-following evangelical pastor who lives in the south of America who has studied Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with my pen out, prayed over the text, really, like, I found myself, like, wanting to underline and mark things like I would, um, and then I'm like, this is not my synoptic gospels. This is not my canonical text, and so yeah. it can be a bit of a jarring experience, and this is why yeah. I think when you, you know, we're moving into now, like, why does this even matter? Like, why yeah. even have an episode on this? A, we're indulging me, okay? So why are we doing this? Because I wanted to. That's one of our reasons, all right? And uh, that's just part of this podcast. That's a pretty you know? fine I reason. I wanted to, and now we're doing it. Yep. Um, yep. So, I, But I do think there was a, I think there was a move, not just in the, uh, you know, the kind of the pop culture world with movies and stuff, but there was a, there was a movement, I think, to really dive into this text and maybe almost to overlay this text 
as a purer form of Jesus or a closer form to the real Jesus. And when coupled with the Q, uh, the Q source, like we talked about in that episode, I think there were many scholars that began to look at Thomas and Q almost as if that was a more true picture of Jesus. And then all the stuff about you know Israel and uh, judgment on Israel and the temple and what he does and the healings and all that, and even the cross and the resurrection is sort of like this add-on that the that was a corruption of the church. Um, and it becomes really an important issue then. So I think first, just when you see it come up in pop culture, when you see it come up in movies, go, hey, I've read that. I've read pieces of that. That's, yeah, okay. You don't yeah. have to start with this fear that uh, somebody's trying to pull the wool over your eyes yeah, on this absolutely. thing. Um, and I think for me, that was kind of my experience. I felt like nobody ever told me this. Nobody told me this is out there. And it made me feel almost lied to, like mm. some, like like the church was hiding this from me. And hey, go read it. It's it, you can go read it for free online. Uh, it's right there. Um, so read it and um, understand where it comes from. Understand the debate about it. Second piece, and to me, this is the fun part. This is the part that matters. Given the conversation that we had with the Q document, and again, you might you might have to go listen to that. This, the fact that there's so much overlap with the Gospel of Thomas, and now another text. Matthew and Luke and Thomas, it does give validity to those that would say there's probably some kind of a source that these are all sharing. Um, and so if you were listening to the Q document episode, the Q, the, uh, you know, the Q gospel, I think we called it, and going, I don't know if I buy that. Why, why are people even saying that? This would be a reason. I think some people say the fact that a third of what is in uh, Thomas and Q are shared, and then Matthew and Luke seem to share a source that indicates that there was some kind of a source, or it makes it maybe most probable, we might say. And that becomes a really interesting uh, historical thing to think about. Like, is it is it the case that there was an oral tradition that from the very, very beginning, maybe even during Jesus' lifetime, he was helping to preserve and helping to shape that they passed down with meticulous care and was shared and shared and shared in different you know, church groups and church clusters in Israel and then as the church spread and that a later person named Matthew and Luke and also this later document called Thomas all shared it together. Sure, that's really cool. Like I, I don't know why that would undercut my faith in any way if that's how it happened. Luke tells us he uses sources. And so Thomas might help us get a different picture on that source, we might say. Uh, now, those are, those are some, you know, some of the answers to the why does this matter. Any comment on those before we dive into the maybe more important one? You already said it, but I'm going to reemphasize it. With stuff like this, it's so important to just read it for yourself because you're exactly right. There can be this sense that someone's been trying to pull the wool over your eyes, that you've been kept from something, and you read this, and it's just so plain to see, like, yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a bizarre, in some ways, book, um, and like there are numerous things that just don't fit with kind of the canonical depiction of Jesus. I think most reasonable people would go and for the worse, like it lends credibility to, to the canonical accounts of his life and, and what he was like. And yeah, when you don't know, you can, you can build up narratives around like, what is it? What is it? What's in there? What does it mean? And as with most things, we don't really do ourselves a favor by putting our head in the sand. But when you, when you actually take a look, you can find that it's actually not that all that threatening and and is interesting and can have some valuable things to to add to your um kind of tool belt as you understand what do we do with all these ancient documents and so forth 
Now let's look at. I'm not randomly selecting these. These are going to be me diving into some of the some of the the contents of this that make it more controversial. Okay, okay. and uh, I'll, I'll just read a couple. There, there's there's two sayings. One is Psalm 97 and Psalm or Psalm uh, saying <laughs> 97 and saying 98. I'm not going to read them entirely. You can you can go Google it. Uh, these contain essentially two parables that begin with the kingdom of the Father that sound very, very, they sound like something Jesus might have said, and it leads some scholars to go, see, we have we found some more parables. I would not uh, affirm that. But uh, people go, see, this is the kind of thing Jesus might have said. So that piece of the content is a matter of controversy. Uh, I'm going to read saying 22. I think the matter of controversy why it's maybe become a big deal. There's a couple other sayings like this. Uh, I think the implication will be clear. I won't have to unpack any of it. Um, and you might see why this got has gotten some attention. Okay. I'll read it. Uh, they said to him, if we are children, shall we enter the kingdom? Jesus said to them, when you make the two one, by the way, we're not exactly sure what that means. Uh, <laughs> scholars debate this. We don't even know, like in the commentaries about Thomas, nobody knows what that means exactly, okay? And when you make the inner as the outer and the outer as the inner and the upper as the lower and when you make the male and the female into a single group so that the male is not male and the female is not female, when you make eyes in place of an eye and a hand in place of a hand and a foot in place of a foot, an image in place of an image, then you shall enter the kingdom. I'm just not going to say anything about it Wowza. because I think you can see, and I think there's been a movement, especially among uh, maybe some of our more liberal, uh, you know, friends and and colleagues that we run into, who have taken statements like this in some other gospel accounts, uh, namely uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and other things, and have have tried to we might read into it a postmodern sort of uh, kind of very you know, present day narrative. And uh, you can see where that might generate some of the controversy, especially the line, uh, so that the male is not male, and the female not female. You can you can see where that might generate some interest, um, some groups today. Yep. Here you'd have Jesus saying something like that. Now, the next one is the one that is the most important of the contents. So we might say the most controversial. Okay. And uh, let me read, uh, let me read uh, probably the one that, that gets to the point the quickest. Number three, saying number three. Jesus said, if those who lead you say, see, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say it's in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, here's the key, the kingdom is inside of you and it is outside of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will become known and you will realize that it is you who are the sons of the living father. But if you will not know yourselves, you dwell in poverty, and it is you who are that poverty, okay? <laughs> this creates this idea that many scholars have suggested that the Gospel of Thomas has some very Gnostic or proto-Gnostic ideas in it. Uh, now, inform our listeners, this is not a podcast on ancient Gnosticism or modern Gnosticism, but what is Gnosticism uh, if you had to summarize it, you know, in a couple of uh, bullet points or something like that? Yeah. I mean, the, the word itself conjures the image of like secret knowledge, hidden knowledge, like this deeper transformative knowledge that uh, that only kind of the spiritually astute are uh, have access to. And Gnosticism uh, or maybe even a proto-Gnosticism, uh, it seems to be the opponent that some of the New Testament authors are writing against. There's this group that's kind of saying, like, there's this there's this deeper knowledge that's distinct from the faith that the apostles are teaching, 
that it's connected to Jesus and it has to do with a lot of it has to do with like the 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 evilness of the material world the the weakness of um like the material not being fit for spiritual things and so it just kind of becomes this like esoteric inner knowledge kind of movement that uh mm-hmm. continued to grow um following the the birth of the church yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of people that would say man thomas sounds like that there's others that have fought really hard to say no it doesn't this sounds like something that uh, somebody that was really following the real Jesus could at least say something like this. Um, and we, we might just have to say it is in, totally inconclusive how Gnostic Thomas is. I think it's definitely fair, though, to say that some of these kinds of statements read in isolation, they do, they do, they do warrant the label proto-Gnostic or Gnostic, this sort of idea that, that Jesus came to give us secret sayings that we can look inward. So especially the one I read, it is mm-hmm. in you. The kingdom is inside you. This idea that we're, we're really liberated when we can detach from the material world and understand these deeper mysterious truths internally for ourselves. And that then we will find some sort of enlightenment uh, kind of on the other side of that. We'll be, we'll finally see, I guess we won't be blinded anymore. And uh, I, I think that the reason this is worth spending a little bit of time on is, first of all, uh, there was there was a movement. It's called the Historical Jesus Study, um, and it's had it's had several centuries now of, of time in this movement. There was a movement among historians and scholars to try to get to the kernel of Jesus behind the Gospels. Like, what was the real Jesus like? And this history of Jesus movements had all sorts of twists and turns, and it's come to all sorts of different places. But one of those that was very popular for decades and decades was, and it still is to this day, to sort of read Jesus almost as a Greek philosopher or a Gnostic philosopher, and. And Thomas became a helpful partner in that discussion. See, here's a here's another gospel that gives us a Jesus who's not so much interested in things like the material things and the cross, but he's really interested in you going deeper into into yourself and mm-hmm. and he's trying to liberate you from the physical world and all that. And I think that was a significant misstep by the the history of Jesus movement. And it was it really met its we might say it hit a major roadblock with another episode we talked about, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls, I think, help scholars go, wait a sec, Jesus sounds way more like fellow Jews who are very interested in the kingdom of God on earth, in Israel, in a physical place, in our physical bodies, in a physical resurrection. I think that that was really the roadblock for where a lot of this history of Jesus movement was in an effort to try to find Jesus through the Gospels. What they ended up doing is really finding themselves. They found a Jesus that was in the image of sort of modern philosophical Western, you know, humanity. And I do think that's also my last caution. And so I think the last implication of this is um, there's a, there's a trend. It's not surprise. It's not, it should be that surprising. There is a trend towards ancient Gnosticism in culture. It it really has never gone away. Yeah. Um, You hear it in, you hear it now, especially in our, in our kind of Western culture, this move towards finding myself, finding my identity, finding truth, finding the kingdom, finding Jesus, not in the historical Jesus who really was in the dirt of Israel and Jerusalem and Galilee, who really was killed on a cross and really did physically rise again and promise to establish his kingdom on the earth. But this sort of spiritual, mystical, emotion-based inside me Jesus. And that's really 
basically ancient Gnosticism revised in America, uh, but in the name of Jesus. Uh, I am not making the statement for any of you Gospel of Thomas scholars listening to this that Thomas is a Gnostic <laughs> text, okay? I'm not saying that, or some proto-Gnostic text. I just wanted to have a fun conversation about the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, and then we had to fill in more time, so that's what we've done now. <laughs> um, but I do want to send that caution uh, to those of yeah. you listening to this. So uh, with that in mind, um, we've done what is it? When was it written? Kind of who wrote it or who didn't write it? What's got what's in it? Why does it matter? Anything just I try to keep I want this to be a little bit of a fun one. Anything you just add to that besides trying to get me to do a another Indiana Jones impression? <laughs> we addressed this question, I think, when we talked about Q, but I think it might be worth bringing up again. Like, let's imagine that another so-called gospel document was found, a brand new one, a week from now, makes headline news everywhere. History channels going nuts. They're 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 uh, they're, <laughs> they're just waiting going nuts. for something like this. <laughs> they are selling so much Clorox because of <laughs> they're because dying of this for gospel. it. <laughs> what do you do as a Christian with that discovery? How do, what, to walk me through the steps? Uh, let's say it's something similar to to this gospel, a collection of sayings of Jesus. How do you how do you approach that? It, it, here's how I here's how I'd answer that in short, um, and I'd answer it with a similar answer that I would give to the historical Jesus movement. The historical Jesus movement, they went through all the gospels as we have them and they color coordinated what they thought would their version of Jesus would have maybe said. And they, they ranked them with all these different colors, like red meant something, black meant something. He would definitely not have said that. He definitely would have said that. And they kind of reproduced uh, a, a historical Jesus in their own making. And here's the deal. We, there's been versions of that throughout, uh, since the time of Jesus. Uh, Marcion did that. Thomas Jefferson did that. There's been versions of this. We cut and we cut and paste things that we don't like from the Gospels to sort of invent a Jesus that is more palatable or that makes yeah. more sense or fits the modern world. And here's here's my answer to that: the Gospels as we know them—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—the way that they cohere to present a Jesus who speaks both to and yet in in a radically different way than the culture of his day with the expectations from his Old Testament to the people on the ground in the first century in Israel where he was. Any document that I'm being told, this is an ancient gospel about Jesus, for me, it has to begin with, does it present Jesus in that context? In any other context, a, a Greek Jesus, an American Jesus, a hippie Jesus, a surfing Jesus, a Jesus, there's... We can imagine Jesus a bunch of different ways. Um, and my first starting point is not, well, I'm, I'm close to ever hearing anything else about Jesus. That's not where I begin. But where I begin is, does this make sense of the historical Jesus walking in the expectations of his Old Testament and proclaiming that it's time for God to be king on earth? Does, that, does it cohere with that? And there, there are things in the Gospel of Thomas that totally do. In fact, they're written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then there are other things that I read it, and immediately I go, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that would, that doesn't sound like something somebody walking around in ancient Israel would say. Um, that sounds some, like something 200 years later. And obviously, nerds are the ones that go and say, well, that doesn't, that, that sounds like something somebody would say 200 years later. I, I may not yeah. have all that knowledge, but I can trust, uh, you know, I can trust as we look back on history um, that, man, that sounds really Greek from the 400s. Well, that that doesn't fit uh, with the Jesus of the 100s in Israel, and so um, I have that same check actually for my church here. 
I have that, we tend to read everything now through an American individualistic, the story is all about my personal salvation going to heaven when I die. And I don't think that's the message Jesus came to. When he hits hmm. the ground running in the Gospel of Mark, it says Jesus went about all of Galilee, and he doesn't say, hey, I got a way for you to get to heaven. I'm going to go die so that you can be individually saved. So go read it, Matthew, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. What he actually says is, he says, the gospel, uh, he says, I have good news about the kingdom of God being near you. It's yeah. time to repent and follow me as king. That's a, that sounds like something Jesus would say with the Old Testament expectations he's walking in. And I might have to let my sort of Protestant uh, post-revivalism, individualistic American, how do I get saved and go to heaven? That's a lens through which I might look at Jesus even that is culturally doesn't really fit or square with uh, Israel in the first century. So um, yeah. that's that's how I'd start. I would, of course, be interested. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to watch every History Channel thing and I'm going to read about <laughs> it and I'm going to read the thing. Um, but that'd be, where my, that'd be my lens through which I'd read something like that. Or Gospel of Mary Magdalene or Gospel of Thomas. I've got yeah. a book here, the Apocryphal New Testament. There's a bunch of these. Um, yeah. Thomas just gets a lot of the headlines. Yeah, well... Great discussion. I always doubt you on these uh, these when we're you don't just think people care about when these. we're discussing like a <laughs> random ancient text. I'm like, man, the people we got to give them the spice. We got to give them the Nicolas Cage content that they're Let's yearning give them for. More, can I smoke marijuana? <laughs> episodes. So, <laughs> but you always you always uh, you always bring it home and connect it to uh, to real life, and it's super fun. So, thanks for sharing with us, man. Thanks as always for listening out of curiosity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Out of Curiosity. If you found it helpful, please consider leaving us a review and sharing it with a friend. To suggest a topic, reach out to us on Instagram at OO Curiosity. We'll see you next time.